Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guests, I just want to talk about what I've been watching this week. I think I told you guys last week that I am watching The Crown. I finished The Crown. It was such a great binge. It's so good that I am actually going to drop a podcast next week with my cousins who also watched it, and we're going to deep dive into it. And yes, it does fall into reality reality because it is based on true events. The other really great doc, well, that's not a doc, but the other great doc that I'm watching is on HBO. It's called The Murder at Middle Beach. I think that's the name of it. Um, Really good, really, really well done about um, a son investigating the murder of his mother. It's not really like anything I've ever seen before. And I think it's really good. And I'm, I'm super intrigued by it. So today on the podcast, the women who brought you the new stars documentary Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult. I had the pleasure of talking with executive producers Cecilia Peck and Imbal Lesner about how this four-part series came to be. First order of business was telling the women's stories in the film by women. All the women behind the scenes were in key positions of production. We talk about how a cult member trying to seduce Cecilia led them to this dark story, how India Oxenberg became the focal point of the series, and how they produced this at the same time as the HBO series, The Vow. Hello, Cecilia and Imbal. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. So I like to start every podcast with how I know my guests. So Cecilia, I don't know if you'll remember this because you were interacting with a lot of people, but... We, I actually met both of you the same night at a party at Cecilia's house. We were introduced by Jim Clemente, who I have been working on on a bunch of projects and was lucky enough to actually be introduced to both of you that night. And then Imbal, you and I sort of went on to become friendly and had some meetings about a film I was doing. So it's great to reconnect with both of you. Yes, Jim was in our last film, Brave Miss World, the story of Lenore Abargil, the Israeli beauty queen who was raped six weeks before she competed in the Miss World pageant. And the film was her story of putting the serial rapist behind bars and speaking out to other victims. And Jim was actually the only male survivor of a rape in our film. And I think he spoke publicly about it for the first time for Brave Miss World. Yeah, that was incredible. And by the way, everyone, is that film still on Netflix? Yes, still streaming. It has to, you have to see this film and I'll put that uh, link in the show notes as well. I was absolutely rocked by that film. And Imbal, you edited that film. And is that how you two came together? Did you know each other before Brave Miss World? We produced it together and Cecilia directed and I edited. And yes, this was our first project together. We were developing other things, but this one really uh, took off first and... We thought, as people do, that it was going to be a one-year project, but uh, we did release it five, six years later. So it was a uh, intense, I would say, work uh, that we collaborated, um, filmed around the world, um, and then released it on Netflix and received an Emmy nomination for it. So, and 
we're still very, very proud of it, that it's still doing the work out there. People are still discovering and watching it. And the website that we built for it has over 10 million unique visitors. And it's, you know, we can talk on and on about that one, but I, I don't, I think that's not why we're here today. But, but since you mentioned the website, it's bravemissworld.com and it's a global resource for survivors to share their stories. And we, um, you know, moderate every testimonial. So there are no trolls on there and it's a supportive space to share a story of surviving a rape, uh, also with an extensive list of resources of, of where to turn. And I'm glad that you brought it up because not only is it a must-see film, but it also does share a lot of DNA with Seduced. And what I mean by that is that ultimately it's a woman's story of survival. Um, and this is many women's stories of survival and sort of, you know, coming out of the shadows and talking about something that brought a lot of um, shame and trauma. So I guess that's a good transition to talk about your latest piece of work uh, of the four part series on stars. Um, Cecilia, I read that you came to this extremely organically. So why don't you talk about how you even decided to make a film about this? Organically? Yes, but it's also a pretty strange tale. I mean, it's, it was somebody who actually worked on Brave Miss World who targeted me for recruitment into Nexium after she worked on our project, she got drawn into this group. And in 2013 and 14, I started receiving texts and emails from her about a women's group and an incredible program she was part of. And she really wanted me to come and it would change my life. And she was getting mentorship in the industry and she was naming successful, prominent people who were involved. And it just became very, very persistent until the point when I just had to say, I don't know what this is. I'm happy for you, but I'm busy and I'm not interested. And it, it's like too much now. And anyway, in the end of 2017, I heard from her again. And she said, I'm so sorry. I was in a cult and I didn't know it. And I was being forced to recruit you. And we sat down to talk about it. And that's how Inbala and I found out about Nexium. And it's such a very closed off world that without a kind of a personal connection like that, I don't think we ever would have had access to it or to anyone who had been in it. So that's how it started. Wow. And so was two questions about that. Was it then her idea to say, Hey, you really should do, do a documentary on this. There's so much to expose. Or did you think like, we want to know more, this could be a good film. Well, it was something we started talking about. And I think maybe I said, you know, I was the one who said, would you want to explore this in a documentary? And she felt like it was a very important story. She had an experience that she wanted to share that she believed could help other people and open other people's eyes to groups like this. She ended up not being part of it for her own reasons. I think that she was afraid of retaliation. Her family didn't know she had been in the group. There were all kinds of complicated reasons that made it really hard to come forward for any of these women, including just being ashamed that you were in something that the media is calling a sex cult, even if you had no contact with DOS or the Slave Master Society. But she did introduce us to another group of women who did want to come forward, um, and they ended up being 
the chorus of women whose stories intersect with and support India's story. And we did begin filming with them before India joined the project. And do you think that you were this friend that you had worked with on the previous film when she said, I'm sorry, I was being told to target you? Do you think, I mean, one of the hallmarks of Nexium is that they were targeting people with clout and with money and with power. And, you know, you obviously have pretty incredible Hollywood pedigree with your father. Do you think that they were specifically targeting you because of that? Yes, I'm sure that was the reason they tried to bring me in. I mean, I certainly wasn't of the age group to be in, um, you know, Keith's sex harem. I, <laughs> I'm a mom. I'm too old for that. But I do have connections. You know, I, I've been in this industry. I, you know, come from a family in the business. So yes, I believe I was targeted because they thought I could provide access to to people in, in the business and in Hollywood. And that was just one of the reasons that people were targeted. It also could be for your computer skills, or like I said, if you fit the profile of Keith's physical preference, or people were very micro-targeted for what they could provide and bring to the group. So Imbal, once you had this group of women that you were introduced to who were ready to tell their stories, Take us from there. What what happened? You just start filming. How did it? What was the next step? Cecilia really started cultivating these relationships with them and filmed some initial, very initial uh, scenes and interviews with them. And I was at the time busy on another project, but she came to me and asked me to help her put it together. And there were some pieces that started coming out in the media that we were able to pull from the internet and just use as sort of a presentation reel. And I must admit, I did not have a full grasp of the issues and the subject matter and what we really had at that point. I think Cecilia was much more in tune with the potential of this story to explore coercive control on women. And uh, it took me months to really understand that world. And it's so convoluted and complicated and devious really to understand. And this was, mind you, before the trial, before a lot of the um, the trial of Keith Raniere, the, the cult leader, and a lot of the truth that came out about what was really happening inside this group. So I was just educating myself from what I could find um, and put together this reel with this, uh, the stories of these women. And um, our executive producers, our partner executive producers, Alexandra Milchan and Daniel Vol helped us get a presentation at STARS and eventually I joined those presentation and they went slowly up the chain of command um, until we got to pitch to Chris Albrecht just before he left STARS. I think mm -hmm. it might've been the last project he greenlit. And um, on that pitch meeting, I believe it was the first day on the job of um, Alice Dickens Koblen who was hired to head their new, brand new unscripted department or division. And um, that's when we met her for the first time. And she, she and Karen Bailey, who ushered this project at STARS, uh, became our network executives. And we started uh, doing more 
aggressive kind of development and filming things in preparation for the trial that kept getting pushed, but had finally started in May 2019. Was the plan always for India and Catherine, but specifically India to be the focal point and kind of told through her? You know, before we talk about how India and Catherine came on board, I wanted to just touch on one thing you said before about similarities or parallels with this film in Brave Miss World, um, because there are parallels in that they're both about courageous women who are using their painful experiences and confronting their own trauma because they believe it will help others and really turning trauma into activism. But that film, you could say, was about a violation of the human body and what happens to a woman and how you recover from that. But to me, this one is really a story about the vulnerability of the human mind. You know, we really wanted to look at how Nexium managed to erode these members' instincts for self-preservation until they were indoctrinated enough to act against their own best interests. So that's the story that we were always interested in telling. And we realized that India and the group of women who came forward could be the vehicle through which to examine, you know, the search for how a group like this can make intelligent, educated people so susceptible. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting how um, Rick Ross, the the cult expert, was saying, you know, people have a misconception that, you know, oh, you're an idiot. You got you got lured into this cult when actually it's quite the opposite. So that I thought you having all of those experts peppered in gave it a really important context. And look, inevitably, this is going to get compared to The Vow, whether you like it or not, because they came out at the same time and explores the same terrain. But I think that um, what distinguished yours the most was that it really, it, it didn't wait for nine episodes or frankly, never to get into the really nefarious stuff that was going on. It really dove into exactly what this cult was, who this guy, Keith Rainier was, and 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 just how harmful and sick the methods were. So I really appreciated where it diverged, you know, diverged in many ways, but especially sort of not not waiting to peel that onion in that way. Obviously, we learned more as we went along, which is great storytelling. But, you know, it was very clear from the beginning why it was so horrible. And I felt like as a viewer, I'm not alone. A lot of people who watched The Val felt like, okay, I just watched nine hours. And, you know, while it was very well done in certain ways, it it really didn't tell me what I was reading in the news or what I, you know, when I went on Google to figure out after as many people do. So I, I appreciated that. I mean, Inbald talked about the research, but we had originally contacted those authorities and accredited experts in the research phase to try to understand coercive control. We attended the International Cultic Studies Association conference uh, we really tried to learn as much as we could, and we realized that how important it was to have them on camera to provide context and explain how this curriculum was was working, was being used to to transform people's thoughts. And stars very much pushed us toward that. They realized how hard it was to grasp how indoctrination works. So 
they wanted to make sure there was an expert analyzing everything that happened to India and the other women. And also India, you know, she was trying to piece her life back together and figure out what had happened to her brain. So she wanted to talk to them too. So that's how they became such a prominent part of the series. I mean, I think it's even more than explanation or our yearning to grasp and understand. Um, it really became the narrative through line of the series. As Cecilia said, India and the other women really were trying to understand what had happened to them on all levels of the cult. So it's really how we built the narrative through line is this tension between the women telling you a firsthand account of how it felt for them at the time to go through the steps of recruitment and indoctrination all the way with India accepting a membership in this strange master-slave women's sorority, secret sorority, while the experts are giving you the context and the understanding as they're learning it also of what is actually at play. What are the cult tactics? What is really going on. And I think it's this tension that plays between what you think is happening and what is actually happening that informs the drive of the story. And so it was just about finding the right balance. So it doesn't become over didactic. We're not trying to over explain, but we're also not kind of free falling without, you know, the context and the, and the support of understanding that there is a manipulation at play here and what is happening without us knowing and in verite as we're finding out and learning more about this as as India and the other women are. Right. I mean, that's what's so powerful is you're with India in real time as she's sort of getting deprogrammed. So back to my initial question about her, I'm just curious when she came into the mix and, you know, she and Catherine ended up being executive producers as well. So talk a little bit about how that introduction was made and how you shifted the narrative a little bit once they came on board? I mean, we always hoped that we would be able to get somebody who was in DOS in this inner secret slave society to come on camera. It was clear early on that that will most likely not happen until the trial was complete. Um, We were in touch with some of the lawyers involved with the case and with the prosecutors. um, And even the defense attorney later, but we knew the trial had to kind of take place and be concluded before we would have access to any of that. And in the meantime, we pursued talking to Catherine because she's such a important um, component of the story and how she participated in the New York Times story and how she went to the media to expose this. So not even you know, dreaming or thinking that India would ever be part of it because we were told she wasn't talking to the press, that she had no interest in speaking out, uh, at least not yet. And by the time we spoke to Catherine, I think she saw what we were doing and where we were coming from and what type of production we were running. And I think maybe that opened a window and we were, and it just happened to coincide with India being ready at that point to finally talk about her story and take ownership and agency of her story that was really taken away from her. How far after India leaving the cult 
did she start participating in the project? Like, was it a few months? Was it a year? It was hard to tell, you know, it seemed like she was trying to still process so much and it seemed very soon after. Well, we met her in the fall of 2019, which is just over a year ago. And she had at that point completed about a year of deprogramming of hundreds of hours of trying to piece her life together. Um, And she had also worked with the FBI during that period. Um, You know, she was very instrumental in providing evidence that helped to connect Keith. So those experiences of working with the FBI, beginning to fully grasp what kind of group she had been involved with, doing the deprogramming um, were what made her get ready to tell her story, um, you know, which had been taken away from her in the media. I mean, she'd been called a cult girl, a sex slave. Um, You know, her mom had written her really wonderful book, which was also part of our research process. But it was her mom's telling of India's story. So she really did want to use her own voice. Um, But, you know, while that time had passed, the recovery from this and the ability to trust your instincts again or to know that your perspective is clear, it's it's not overnight. I mean, it it will be lifelong for her. Um, But I guess she was at a point where she understood the indoctrination process, but she didn't know exactly how it had affected her, how that could have happened. So that's what she wanted to explore. And I think she really trusted the work we had done previously. You know, she knew we had told the stories of women who had come out of complex and volatile situations. So like Inbal said, you know, we never dreamed she would join our project. We'd heard she wasn't going to tell her story. And um, so, yeah, it was, she really did give us the framework from somebody who went in at 19, very idealistic, very young. I mean, she thought this, she thought she was taking business classes. They told her this was a practical MBA. She had dyslexia. She, she didn't do well in regular school. She thought she was taking proactive steps to achieve her dreams and kickstart her career in, you know, cooking and catering. That's how deceptive they were. Yeah. And that really killed me because this is a woman who's, who's going in, like you said, at 19, her brain is still developing while she's being brainwashed. I mean, that's just brutal, brutal to hear. And, you know, Cecilia, you mentioned something so important that was so evident in how raw and honest the entire series was, which is that the element of trust and that, you know, all of these women have been through trauma and it's so hard to trust anyone in general. And especially when you've gone through the kind of trauma, um, you know, putting all of their faith in, in people that they trusted. So talk about how you sort of seem like you created this bubble, this safe bubble with the crew and the survivors and how important that was in the production of the series. I mean, I think we, even though it was a four-part series for stars, we kind of approached it like an indie film, you know, just developing relationships, building trust, identifying people who had something to say, who wanted to tell a story. Uh, We did seek to create a very safe environment on the set like we had done in Brave Miss World. We had the protocols in place from that film. We developed them further. 
We trained everybody in how to talk to trauma victims. Everybody was hired because they had sensitivity. We never let a male sound man mic a female survivor. Um, so those were some of some of the protocols we we put in place to ensure a safe environment for people to to open up and tell these very difficult, complicated stories. And I, I just involved before you before you go, I just want to make sure we get in a plug, a shout out to Arlene Nelson, who is an incredible cinematographer. I've worked with her and I mean just looks so gorgeous and she's someone else again who I trust with my life and I just think I'm sure made all of these women feel so safe. Yes, Arlene was incredible and in documentary you don't always have a schedule in advance or know how long a day is going to go. You're not prepared for incredible emotional upheaval and you have to have a crew who's willing, who's passionate enough to stay out there on a cold night or be able to give a hug to a survivor after they've opened up. Arlene was amazing. She's so talented and she's so accomplished, but such a team player. At the end of an interview, she would say, can I ask something? And she was really listening, you know. Well, she's a director she was, too. While she was creating these amazing images, she was actually listening. And, you know, that spilled to the whole crew. People were really engaged with what was going on. And, you know, early on, Cecilia and I realized there was, there were a lot of levels of trauma that we couldn't completely manage ourselves or, you know, with all our sensitivity and goodwill, there was more than what we could um, provide for ourselves. And we did set up a fund to provide therapy counseling to the interviewees, to the women who decided to join us before, during, and after filming. So, and then through the release, which was also triggering seeing their stories now shared with the rest of the world. So I think that added to their trust and, you know, knowledge that they were held, their stories were protected and important. And, you know, I can really tell you the from all my years in documentary, mainly in the editing room, but on some sets, you know, Cecilia's empathy is unmatched. And the way she built this relationship so carefully and cared for them, it's not just a lip service. She, you know, really established this, this trust and that was paramount. That was before came before network pressure or budgets or schedules like these women we're going to have these stories on film forever. And that was the more really important to keep in mind. And that when you have that leadership from the top down, then the whole team is treating this like not just another job, like this is a mission and we're going to do our best to give justice to the story and to these women and really make sure that even those who, um, who, have a kind of a smaller role and are supporting characters, that their stories are told truthfully and respectfully and that they, we allow them to have a voice that is empowering and not, not in like the empty kind of sense, that it really feels, you know, empowering and like a closure for them. Well, thank you, Inbal. And also, I just need to say that Inbal's skills in understanding 
how the different elements of a story from beginning to end are going to work together and come together in a seamless and engaging and enlightening way in the editing room is really unmatched by any other editor I know. And I just feel so lucky to get to work with her. So speaking of that, listen, we all know how much gets, how, first of all, how complex and layered this story is. I'm sure you had 50 other strands. And by the way, I think you did an excellent job organizing the material in a very sort of clear and succinct way that that charts the sort of grooming process and and all of the all of the steps along the way that these cult members had to go through and and it really makes you understand how you get to a place where you could be branded and think it's okay and I think you did a really great job of that. So my question is there's so many stories that you probably wanted to tell. I don't know if you asked for more episodes. Like what were those hard choices that you had to make to make this four episodes? So many beautiful and important scenes were left on the cutting room floor as, as they usually do. But um, yeah, some were more heartbreaking choices than others. Our original intent was to make a five uh, part series. And um, there were many discussions about that. And I think the, the final compromise was that our final fourth episode is kind of a supersized 80 minute uh, finale. So it was really critical for us to include the section after the trial. Uh, so not just end with the conviction and justice done, but follow these women and see how they piece their lives together, how they find their voice again, what they can do to raise awareness and uh, fight for legislation and and uh, on co- coercive control legislation. Sorry. So, you know, healing is healing and empowerment was a really critical puzzle uh, piece, and we were not going to le- leave that on the cutting room floor. And so we had to figure I mean, out I- how to how to keep that at the end of the of the end of the film. Yeah, I think ideally we would have had a fifth episode that was devoted to justice and to how you emerge from trauma and how they're using their voices and turning into activists. So we really had to condense that into four. Uh, it was it was definitely challenging. I mean, Stars just decided it was going to be a four episode format. So we had to make a lot of difficult choices. But you can also think about the first sort of episode and a half, the first 90 minutes of this journey, having to cover the first five years of India and intersecting with other women um, in Nexium and try to convey the very incremental process of indoctrination of how she got slowly and slowly sucked in to take more classes, to move to Albany, to all the way to really accepting the membership uh, in the in the secret sorority. And so that required a lot of difficult choices. You know, we decided to focus on the gender programs within Nexium because we saw that that was really where the misogyny and those teachings came from. And that was eroding specifically to women. And so 
I think we had we just had to keep in mind the perspective of of telling the stories of women and these women and what was critical to that story and everything else had to fall away. Um, they just didn't have room. And I think, like you said, Eliza, making sense of this very complicated, convoluted world did take a, while, a lot of crafting. Um, it's not like self-explanatory. We can just put a chart on the screen and make you understand the structure and process of what it's like to spend five years in Nexium and how you start to feel about the people in uh, leadership positions or above you and how you feel about Keith. I mean, that was a kind of a difficult tower to build. And one of those tools in your arsenal, so to speak, was the animation that you used. I really, I thought that was very powerful. And that's always tricky, right? It's hard to get that right. It's always hard to know how you want to use that. What's the right way to use it? So what were those conversations like and, and who ended up doing that for you? I mean, we, we had an incredible animation team um, run by Elise Kelly. We actually found her as we were binging on docs during the making and just watching everything that was on, rewatching things. And we saw Taylor Swift's film, Miss Americana, and there were a few animations um, based on moments in the courtroom, which was a part of our story. And we had at the time been trying to figure out how to dramatize those moments where there were no cameras. So we met them and just began an incredible collaboration of deciding how we could portray the moments that that we didn't have on film. And um, down to choice of colors of what images to show on screen and really how to explain that process of humiliation and degradation that the women went through, how this curriculum made them feel they were so worthless unless they subjected themselves to more and more um, abuse, really. So those were some of the moments when the animation was really able to dramatize in a way that we felt was had a lot of artistry and wasn't sensationalized, but that was so powerful. It was really effective. So in Bal, I read, in one of the articles I read, it said that you both found out about The Vow about midway through production on your series. So what was that like? First of all, I'm kind of surprised it took that long, right? Because the world of Nexium is probably small in a sense. So listen, I know how sort of competitive I am and paranoid in the sense of like, uh-oh, what is theirs going to be versus ours? Are people going to, if they do both, how is that going to affect our narrative? So what were those conversations like between you once you found out there was another doc in the works? Yes, we heard some rumors and some stories that there was um, another production going on, but we didn't know that HBO um, took it on for a multi-part series. We didn't know how many episodes there would be or what exactly the, the scope. Once we started covering the trial and the events leading up to the trial, then of course we were all in Brooklyn, you know, our crew and their crew filming the same thing. Of course, there wasn't filming inside the courtroom, but just outside. And so, you know, everybody's 
in documentary, they sign a lot of NDAs and they're protective of their own ideas and process. And so we were, I didn't post anything about my travels or anything related to my work. I actually kind of disappeared from Facebook for a year and a half while I was doing this. And we were just keeping low profile and minding our own business as much as we could. And I, they, I'm, I'm sure they were doing the same because we, uh, we knew very little about what was going on all the way to release. You know, we were getting close to locking and releasing and then they dropped their trailer. And um, so we had just locked and delivered our locked cuts when they started airing. So in that sense, there's no you know, influence, we weren't able to watch it and respond to it. But I mean, it's nerve wracking. Of course, it's, it's difficult to think that there, there's another project uh, that's very similar and uh, around the same topic. But we kept saying there were reportedly 17,000 members in Nexium. So there are 17,000 stories and many of them are very worth exploring. And there were stories, there were difficult levels of trauma on all kind of circles of disorganization, not just inside DOS, but even people who, you know, only took a couple of classes in LA or signed up for this weekly membership in Jeunesse, the women's group. There's just very complex and different stories on how all these people suffered some kind of coercion and thought reform and had to deal with the consequences of their membership in this organization. So we just believed in our perspective and hoped for the best. Cecilia, anything to add on that? Um, I mean, we do feel that both series are complementary uh, we hope people watch them both in a way. I think having the vow air first kind of primed people for seduced. They had a basic understanding of what the group was. Um, I mean, we did we did chat with them um, when all the crews were together. And by the way, I think there was a BBC crew or at least a producer there. We you know we didn't know how many films or series were going to come out on this, but. But yes, we felt, you know, nobody owns the story. Everybody has a right to their perspective and their storytelling. Um, when we met up with that team, we kind of figured out which characters would be exclusive to them. And we had the ladies who had joined us who were exclusive to us. We agreed not to um, try to have exclusivity over any experts in the field um, so those were kind of the a basic understanding that we reached with them. But yeah, besides that, we just had no idea what they were up to. And I think, I don't know, it's an interesting kind of look at two different ways to tell a story. And to that end, I know that they've announced that they're doing a second season. Do you think there's a second season for Seduced? Is that something that you are having conversations about? No, we're not. Um, we haven't really thought about that. I mean, you know, we followed India and the other women's experience through Seduced. Um, Keith was convicted while we were shooting, um, you know, of seven federal crimes, including sex trafficking, sex with a minor. 
He was just sentenced to 120 years in prison. That's the final card in the crawl at the end of our series. So we feel like that story is wrapped up. Um, these women are all moving forward in their lives. India's doing well. Today, uh, it was it was a very dark road to go down. And I don't think any of us would want to jump back into the Nexium story. Um, but there's a possibility that we might do something more around the area of coercive control, which, Good. you know, and, and, and strategic oppression and how a group like this can instill fear, um, you know, not only a cult, but in a company or in a relationship. Um, we're interested in how abusers use tactics like this um, as a means of control. I'm so glad you said that because that segues so perfectly into my last question, which is if you have thoughts now after all the work that you've done about how you do stop a monster like a Keith Rainier from getting that power in the first place and how do you sort of educate people on the on what to look for? Because these predators are so good at preying on your insecurities and, and, and knowing exactly where to press. So it's very tough to sort of stop them before they, you know, I mean, he's still trying to do it. That's what the second season of The Vow is, is him talking, which I don't agree with them giving him a voice, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are as we wrap up. I think our our work is in making a film that's engaging enough and impactful enough that it allows people to recognize what those red flags might be and that if you're in any kind of group or situation where someone else is trying to control your behavior or limit information that you're getting or um, take away your agency, control your thoughts. Um, Alienate you your, from your family. Right. Those are the things we, we, we hope to shed a light on in Seduced and that, that, that it will be helpful to other people who might be stepping into something and remember seduced and, and realize it might not be what they thought it was. It's incredibly rewarding to see people responding online and recognizing these dynamics in their personal lives and their careers and their yoga studios and wherever. Um, so it, there's definitely a, a interesting conversation happening about and if you watch Bill Maher last weekend, the his season closing, comparing this to political situation in our country right now. So I think people are making really interesting analogies based on the series and what they learned. Um, so we're we're really proud of that. And also just wanted to talk about our title, Seduced. And it's never easy to find the perfect name for a series or a film, but for us. Nexium was a seduction from the moment you entered the doors of an intro presentation. These were held in beautiful homes with wine and cheese, populated by celebrities. The facade of this group was so legitimate. And that's where the title comes from, that you were, you were seduced without knowing it from beginning to end. Yeah, that's the insidious nature of it. It's, it's very smart. They knew what they were doing. Well, I thank you both for exposing, you know, they always say sunlight is the best disinfectant and you really accomplished that in a big way. And I think it's really important, you know, that I always say the home run is to make, like Cecilia, you said, to make something entertaining, but also have it really be impactful. And 
enlightening, which is what this is. So I really appreciate your work, not just on this, but on a lot of other projects that you've done and really looking forward to what you have cooking up next. Hopefully we'll get to see it soon. Thank you Thanks for being so here. Thanks so much for Thank the you, support Lisa. and having us on. 